being able to do things with your hands is something that gives us confidence as human beings. You know, whether it's fostering like a musical skill or just like a knitting habit or, you know, uh, using strength implements that use grip, I think is really important for kids to increase confidence. And then that confidence will translate to other aspects of their life, you know? Like we were talking about holding the plate is a really basic example, but also just having the strength to like stand tall at school, knowing that, you know, they can do things correctly and they have the strength to do those things. When you hear the word discipline, what arises within you? Do you feel inspired and motivated? Or do you feel a contraction, this part of you that wants to hide? You know, discipline is a tricky thing because to achieve anything worthwhile in life, it's going to take consistency and discipline, especially in those times when you don't want to do it. However, what I've seen in many men today, many people today, and of course within myself is even the most disciplined of us, we tend to be disciplined in those things that we're already good at, those things that we enjoy. But it's those things that we've been neglecting, hiding, avoiding. Those are the things that really require discipline. And oftentimes there's something deeper. There's something deeper where we are self-sabotaging ourselves and avoiding that because we're either afraid of something. Maybe it's the fear of making mistakes or not being enough, or maybe there's some level of shame. And this is why being around a group of heart-centered people to shine a mirror in what you can't see and help you along the process of discovering what's really going on and supporting you as you move through that. That is so much of the theme and the themes that we support men with at the Men of Movement Retreat, which will happen November 10th through the 12th in Mount Shasta, California, or my new virtual coaching program, The Path to Inspired Action, beginning in October. If you're a man and you wanna be supported and this resonates with you, go ahead and click a link on the show notes and let's hop on a call. Welcome to The Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Today on the show, we're bringing on Arash Sofiani. Now, Arash is someone I knew from a few years back, and we just reconnected. As you're going to hear on the show, he attended the Level 1 Bulgarian Bag Certification that I just ran at the Onnit Gym in Austin, Texas. And Arash is a very accomplished black belt in judo. He also teaches and competes in jiu-jitsu, and he is one of the jiu-jitsu instructors at Six Blades Jiu-Jitsu in Lake Travis, which is owned by Shanji Hibero, which if you know anything about jiu-jitsu, Shanji is one of the greatest of all times, and Arash is also an accomplished strength and conditioning coach. Today's topic really focuses on if we were to go back and Arash shares direct experience of how he grew up training and his relationship to performance and discomfort and how with the youth or the next generation, how can we support them in, yes, training smart for longevity, but also not avoiding discomfort? How can we push them in more intentional and productive ways that so many kids today need? So let's get into the show with Arash Sofiani. Guys, I'm here. I'm sitting with Mike Salemi, none other than Mike Salemi. Um, he is a master of the Bulgarian bag. 
Um, he's um, he's just a all around like good dude. Um, I'm attracted to him. <laughs> I'd say about five percent of me. <laughs> Dude, this is so good. This is so good. You're going to introduce me and introduce yourself. And as you're doing that, I'm curious, when you picked me up today, you were telling me just how sore you are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me what's sore, why are you sore, and lay it out for us. So Mike's here for 48 hours, and I I got to spend you know, pretty much the whole day with him. And my whole backside is lit up. And um, from the top of my neck all the way down to my calves even. And I, I, I specifically, I noticed like back the hamstring calf complex on both legs kind of lit up. I think because, of, you know, not because of anything but the Bulgarian bag people. Um, but we, you know, we worked a lot on that counterbalance movement. So during the like the lambskin or the the spin motion of the Bulgarian bag, I noticed that like I had a lot of just like hip complex recruitment, um, which is interesting because like you know we sometimes I like to think that in strength and conditioning we always like section off movements. We're like, oh, this is a lateral hip hinge, or this is a a forward lunge, you know, like this is how we're going to train the hip complex. Whereas I feel like the Bulgarian bag is like almost reactionary, right? It's like we have, you know, you have to build like a reflexive, reflexive uh, hip complex or, or shoulder complex. So now everything is moving in concert. And I, it's wild to say, but, you know, I understand penation angles and muscle fibers, but I do feel like I'm getting angles. Mm. I'm training angles of my muscles that I normally don't get to when I'm working just a a, a, a side lunge or or like a forward or a reverse lunge, you know. So, yeah, and also a lot of the overhead work has left my my back really. I mean, I'm I'm standing a little taller uh, today for sure, and um, but man, the test that you put us through that yeah. Bulgarian bag protocol legendary mm. uh it it really did remind me of of like a match it was it was a wrestling match it was a jiu-jitsu match um albeit it was like a longer bout but i definitely think like mentally staying in the fight and like staying proficient while while i have to execute you know complex movement it was it was the closest thing that i think you can get to actually doing a, a martial art or a grappling sport and also training at the same time, right? Like like getting a metabolic conditioning and overall strengthening workout. Yeah, there was a, a few things and, and I had to hold it in because when you said a word, I'm just going to bring it up because I was like, try not to laugh while I'm bringing it up. You said the word lambskin. <laughs> Uh, lamb swings, <laughs> lamb swings. Well, you said, I think you said it, but I was just like, let him roll with it. Let him roll with it. <laughs> you know what they said is, uh, they said that the condom was invented like back in the 1600s by, oh. by, you know, by some, some guys in, 
Middle Earth. I don't know where. But, <laughs> but then, uh, you know, in the 1800s, they decided that they, they invented it with, uh, you know, the intestines of a lamb or something. And then the 1800s, they took it out of the lamb. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god, dude! Oh, this is so. They took it out of the land first. That was great. Uh, I'm not going to label any ethnic groups, but no, no please don't. Yeah. Please don't. We want to keep listeners. Yes. Oh man. So, well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm curious, what would you say? Because what you described in your experience, when I've worked with martial artists, especially jujitsu, whether they're recreational or mm-hmm. competitive. I've worked definitely with wrestlers and stuff like that as well. But what you just shared is probably one of the most common things that I tend to hear. There hasn't been uh, a conditioning tool or a conditioning protocol or style of training that has ever given them as close of a feel, especially in their grips, but how their body moves, how their body works, as it's been with the Bulgarian bag. So with that said, I'm, I'm super grateful that you highlighted that what would you say for you personally? And I want to definitely head into your background and that sort of stuff. But yeah. for you personally, what was, if you could sit with, what is your biggest or one of your biggest takeaways from yesterday that either for yourself or you're like, man, I'm, because we were just talking before we recorded, people are hitting you up. They want to work with you. You work with a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. So either as an instructor or personally, what's like your big, big takeaways? Uh, big takeaways are, um, you know, I just want to give you a quick background as, uh, you know, I started off as a wrestler in high school and, uh, I did a fair bit of wrestling. Then at the same time I was training judo and sambo. So like Russian judo basically, uh, competed internationally in those, in both those sports. And then <clears throat> transitioned into jujitsu, uh, during the pandemic. And so I have a lot of grappling experience, um, and uh, in all of those experiences, probably the, the, the main theme is mentally staying in the fight and being able to execute with precision, even when you're tired. It doesn't matter what level of athlete you are, you are going to get physically exhausted. But I think the best athletes are still able to make decisions and execute their technique uh, under those fatigue conditions, right? And... Um, I think at every level of grappling that I've been at, as long as I was able to to keep my mind right, essentially, while I was physically fatigued, I was able to succeed. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, you know, there's obviously like close matches here and there, but I think as long as I was able to stay sharp uh, in both my technical execution, but also my decision-making, um, I, you know, I felt like, I, I felt really good. <laughs> uh, quite clearly. So one thing I took away from the uh, Bulgarian bag certification that we did yesterday was that it's really, uh, there's a fine line between efficient movement and just muscling the action mm. in Bulgarian bag. Like you can feel it when, for instance, we were talking about like the whip yesterday, right? It's like, if you're not getting that whip, that bag is sailing it's kind of like when you're approaching like a planetary orbit and if you hit, <laughs> yeah, for real, like yeah. if you, I'm, I'm an astronaut and so I can talk about these things. So when you, when you get to, when you get to like that trajectory, that tangent, right. And you miss 
and now you're sailing over here. Yeah. It's the same thing with the Bulgarian bag and in grappling. If you uh, mm. if you miss a grip or you just your feet are placed wrong, and um, for the grappling people out there, like if you're doing like an arm drag, right, and you drag and you're not super close to the guy's hips, well, he's just going to turn around and face you. So it's like when I hit the arm drag, I get super close to the guy's hips and beat him to that position. And if you don't, all that effort you did to do the arm drag is just going to be wasted and you have to do it again. And I think with a Bulgarian bag, similar situation. It's like, if I don't get that whip right, then that bag's not going to sail over my head super clean and go into my next rep. So if I, if I screw up one step right here, oh man, now I'm going to feel it in my arms. I'm going to have to like uh, muscle it back down and then, oh, it's going to bump to my leg. And then there's just a whole cascade effect. So I think it's really great for training coordination mm-hmm. without making somebody just like bump heads with another tough athlete, right? So it's, if you have to work on stuff, uh, you know, just like proprioceptive qualities, I think the Bulgarian bag is a huge tool. So when I was watching you do your protocols, so for those who aren't familiar, the the level one certification that, that I teach is basically, and it's all from Suplis, the Ivan Ivanov, the inventor of the tool who was an Olympian and an Olympic coach in, in wrestling in Greco. And the way the day is organized is, at least in the level one, we learned four fundamental movements that everything kind of branches off of. For any kettlebell enthusiasts who are listening, uh, it's almost like the big six. So the big six in kettlebells is going to be your overhead press, your Turkish getup, your squat like a goblet squat, your swing, your clean, your snatch. If you can execute those really well, the potential of what you can utilize that tool is like exponential. So with the bag, there's a 360-degree movement that we were talking about, the spin. Uh, You have the snatch, something called the swing squat, and then the arm throw. With those four, like you can do unbelievable amounts of complexity and variety and all sorts of stuff. But the way the day's structured is the first half we learn all the technical progressions. Then we do that match is like the testing protocol. Then the second half of the day, you learn a whole nother assortment of exercises. But that protocol is really like the, essentially it's like a rite of passage. It's an initiation ritual. You don't do it all the time, but it, it really shows you. And what I love seeing, like I love the tool, mm-hmm. but more than anything, I love people. Mm-hmm. And I love getting to witness people. And I hear this all the time. Now you push yourself a lot in mm-hmm. training and practice, and you've gone to those edges probably more than most most all people that I know. So you've potentially trained yourself to find comfort in those situations. But most people don't have many experiences or opportunities to touch that edge, to find that edge. And it was so neat for me, because I've taught this quite a bit now over the years, to watch every person go to that place. And 99% of the time, they find something out about themselves that they didn't know or didn't think was possible. And when I witnessed you during the test with Diego, it was so cool watching you because you were like, for me, I was thinking about you when I was woke up this morning in bed. I was like thinking about what, what would I love to discuss with you today because we have a relationship from before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, there's so much. But for me, how I experience you is you are the embodiment of like the quiet warrior. You are someone who I would never want to fuck with. <laughs> And someone who has the humbleness, the, the, 
the just the state of being that is very <clears throat> that quiet warrior quality. Opposite of that, Mike is exactly the kind of guy that I would want to fuck with. I bet I <laughs> want destroy me. I want to just turn him into sourdough and just <laughs> work with him and put him in an oven and then put some raw butter and honey on. Well, you did mash me up pretty good when we were doing Protector Level 1 with Tim Kennedy. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, amazing. It was like the most loving, smothering, joking, messing with me as my head. Well, you surprised me there, so I got really excited to see you. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I got to put it on mic, man. This this guy uh, put me in some uncomfortable spots when we did our, our medicine and... Uh, so I was like, all right, I got to make Mike feel it. Oh, I he, love he that. initiation. Uh, and thank God it was you. And, uh, uh, but that, when the I, Diego, yeah. When I see you training, like you were, I don't want to say stoic, but you had this, if you look at your face, I don't know what's happening on inside, yeah. so I don't know that, but your face was very calm. Now that, let's just say that quiet warrior or that, how did it start? You shared a little bit about your background, but... If you can share a little bit about those maybe early experiences that mm. gave you the the substance to show up in that way yesterday that I saw. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, I think it's any grappler's journey usually starts in, in high school, I think, in America or maybe just in middle school. And then the rare people start when they're five, six years old. Um, I think early on, it's really important for kids to get uncomfortable and do things and, and get challenged. So I remember my folks putting me in karate really early on, five years old. I was just a, I wouldn't say I was a rambunctious kid, but I was very physical. Like I'd love to push my brother around and wrestle with my friends and they didn't want to wrestle. Like what kid <laughs> wants to just like scrap with you, you know, when you're <clears throat> also, I was bigger than most. I'd like, I grew pretty quickly. So my parents knew they had to put me in martial arts early on, but those were formative experiences. You know, somebody telling you, stay in line, don't cry. You know, you have to do the hard thing, but don't talk about, you know, just kind of instilling those, I guess you call them stoic principles, but uh, not really showing your hand to, to the other person, um, which I'm not going to say I'm the best at that. I've definitely lost my cool in my life and like, uh, and also in practice, you know, when, when I started out in wrestling, like I've definitely like showed signs of getting tired. But I think early on, it's very important to integrate, you know, challenges in, in a kid's life. So we were talking about like how I got into it. Yeah, it was first it was martial arts at a young age. So uh, five years old, I do karate. I do that until I'm about eight or nine. And then uh, nine to 12, I got really serious about uh, this other martial art called harangdo. Uh, out in LA. Uh, it's basically like Hapkido, like a integrated martial arts system. And, uh, and then when it came to high school, uh, I'm Iranian by background. So our thing is wrestling. That's just, that's culturally the thing. And my parents were just like, yeah, you know, Arash, you cannot play football. And I go, why? It's like, you will hurt your neck. You will break your eyes. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, wrestling tryouts are coming up. I was like, that's good. And I'm like, the first first practice I had, somebody had a half Nelson on me. And I'm like, they're cranking my neck. And I'm like, where's this logic here? But you know, as long as it's Iranian, it's fine, right? That's hilarious. So um, 
So uh, the high school wrestling was probably the most formative of my years because, you know, that's the first time somebody kicks your ass and, you know, you, you can do nothing about it. Uh, I would say in kids' martial arts, you know, I did have some times where I, I felt overwhelmed, but I think that essence, in essence, being overwhelmed at one point in your life or a challenge to the point where you you feel helpless is kind of important, you know? And, you know, martial arts gives you kind of a safe environment because we have the mats, right? So you're not going to hurt yourself on the mats. You have a coach there. So if if it gets, you know, uh, if you you can't breathe or something like that, we can always pull the kid off of you, you know, whatever. And then also with uh, physical training. So I remember just going to the park with my uncle and him making me do push-ups and run around the track or what have you. Um, my first, actually my, one of my first experiences with kind of the Bulgarian bag movements was my uncle telling me to pick up a rock and then do halos with it. Wow. So I had to do like halos in the park with a rock, you know? So I was already like, man, there's a rock over my head. I can't drop the rock on my head. So like early on introducing these kind of challenges to kids, I think is really crucial and, uh, like just galvanizing and getting the getting the kid ready for for you know I guess we were talking you you were like giving me a compliment saying I looked stoic but I appreciate that but like you know just making sure that when they are under duress when they are in like the most um difficult positions to like keep their cool and still execute I think you you got to start early on and just like increase the challenges as the kid grows up I mean the beautiful thing about Bulgarian bag is if I had trained with that instead of the rock, <laughs> if I if I dropped a rock, I've got a busted head and I can't, I, I would probably never want to train with my uncle again. But with the Bulgarian bag, at least it's, it's made out of leather. So if it falls on my head, yeah, it does make like a thud, but it's not, I'm not busting my head open. That's one of the nice things about the bag compared to a lot of other training tools. Yeah. Is it is soft. So if you drop it on your foot or even just having it in the house, like I've got kettlebells everywhere, but they scratch the floor. Yeah. It's, but it's a soft implement. If you do a clean, it's not going to crush your forearms. But you said something that I thought was really interesting. And I think it's actually important to, it would have been nice to have a bag and have the option. But one of the things I heard you say is like, there's an element of risk. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also getting kids uncomfortable is really important so they can deal with that overwhelm and transfer and translate that in other areas. But what I find today, and and I want to keep going deeper into this and also bridge the gap between like if a child, a young man, whatever, isn't exposed to these challenges, what happens? And today, like that risk, I think is really important mm. because otherwise these kids just fuck off all that, you know, yeah. they, they need to have some level of like understanding that uh, shit can happen. Your vehicle, your meat vehicle is vulnerable. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, you know, the, the sensation of being under threat is not a bad thing. I don't think we need to grow up in padded walls and, uh, you know, comfy couches and just, I think you got to get outside, you got to scrape your knees, you know, which I, I'm sure a lot of parents agree with, but they also don't know how to get out and get that done. Like, how do you put your kids mm. into scenarios that are, you know, quasi-dangerous, you know? And I think a good way to do that is through jiu-jitsu, um, is through physical training. Um, you know, uh, you have to, you have to, as a parent, you have to make the effort to put your kids in an uncomfortable position. I think part of my critique of my Persian father 
is that, you know, everybody would think like, oh, you know, he's a Middle Eastern dad. He's like super hard on his kids. No, he like, he tried to spoil me, mm. you know, he tried to do everything for me and like, mama, don't worry about it. <laughs> You're hungry. I feed you. You're tired. Go to sleep. And I'm like, no, like, tell me to get my ass up and go, you know, like, so I had to tell myself that. And my mom, my mom was kind, she was in the middle, you know, sometimes she'd kick my, you know, just like, give give me a nice kick to be like, go outside and play with your friends, but never super mean about it. It was always, it was me watching like action movies and, you know, seeing Arnold and like, oh, I need to be strong, strong and gold if weights, you know, like I would watch Pumping Iron. I'm like, okay, I got to go be tough and strong and yeah, the first time I ever wanted to physically train, though, was um, me and my uncle were sitting down. And uh, I wouldn't say he's like the biggest guy, but he's like six foot, muscular guy. And he's a mechanic, so he's got these big, strong hands and forearms and stuff. And he showed me how to weight train for the first time. And then we're sitting down, I think it was like the 2000 Olympics. And uh, Hossein Rezaza there, he has the... Do you know I'm, sure if, I, I'm sure if I saw a picture of him. Super heavyweight from Iran. Yep. He held the uh, clean and jerk record. Uh, I think it was like 264 and a half kilos for, for the clean and jerk. The strongest guy on earth at that time. You know, and I was like, hey, that guy looks just like, like us. You know, like, who is that guy? He's like, oh, he's an Iranian guy. He's like, oh, wow, you can be strong like that? I was like, yeah. I was like, where is he? He's in the Olympics. He can go train and do that. I was like, oh, I want to go there. Wow. I want to be strong like that guy. And then, um, so that kind of like sparked my journey. But moreover, I think it was just like, uh, you also have to, you have to give kids the opportunity to see great things, you know, like witness people doing, um, doing feats of strength and, um, and, and, you know, not just for the, the, the value of the spectacle to make them entertained, but also to show them that, through hard work, through uh, dedication to a craft, whether it's like weightlifting or or um, or martial arts, or you know, it, it doesn't even have to be that those things. It could be you know a performance, like a, a dance or or stand up. Don't take your kids to stand up comedy, but like you know, like uh, just something where there's a performance involved and the culmination of hard work. I think is really important for kids to to uh, to draw inspiration. So if we're, if we're talking about developing kids, you got to bring them to those big events mm-hmm. so they can see how big, uh, how big a person can make themselves, you know, not just for like the sake of feeling good, but also just, man, it's possible. You can be the guy right in the middle of the arena with everybody watching you and still do well. And, uh, with, with all the pressure mounting on you. So. It's so important. I was sharing with uh, a few of the guys after the course, uh, like Justin, Ben, uh, Jeff, Stefan. Mm-hmm. We were hanging out after, and uh, we were just talking about what we're all working on, and, and we did a little meditation together. And one of the things that I was sharing is like one of the things that I'm personally working on right now, especially in business, um, is like challenging myself or inviting myself to invite in a new perspective of what's possible. Because mm. I've had definite like growth moments in my life. And what I've realized, whether you want to say I'm, I've realized that I'm dreaming too small mm. 
And having that context of what's actually possible, like that's really what I'm inviting in right now. Like what is possible? Like I'm committed, I'm dedicated, and I still feel I've put this cap on myself in many regards. Mm. And I'm standing in my own way. And I think if we can invite more of that as we're young kids and young men or young ladies, it really will set up this cascade of, of new perspectives and new possibilities. Because truly, so many of us, we are our worst critic. We are so much tougher on ourselves than even the toughest person on the map. Yeah. And so if we can teach that or invite that, and I think it'd be a great service. And, you know, you and I were also talking, I think there's this blend of like, how would you say for, for a young child to balance this, or what goes into your maybe recipe or what comes up for you? The balance of testing, like testing an individual's character or mm-hmm. putting them in those situations with blending in longevity. So how do you blend, blend that so that when they get to 30, 40, 50, they're not completely destroyed from the tests that they did younger or what they put themselves through as they were younger? Yeah, I mean, you're talking to a guy who's like repenting for his own sins pretty <laughs> much. You know, like... <laughs> I don't think that people talk about balance and longevity. Sure. And I think balance is bullshit because, mm-hmm. uh, you know what balance means? I, I, I got this from uh, Dr. Pat Davidson, who's a, a wizard of biomechanics, but also he puts out a lot of good content out there. He's an educated meathead. But like uh, he posted one day, balance is bullshit because like, if you think about it, anything that's balanced is not in motion. Mm-hmm. So in order to get forward momentum, you do, do have to tip the scale wow. to start start moving forward so in essence i think that you do have to kind of get burned you know you don't have to be get burned completely but you do have to get burned by experiences in order to to make any kind of forward progress and that's why it's we talk about risk you have to you have to find risk don't destroy yourself obviously but there has to be a burn for me my burn was definitely like my knee injury you know i was like okay I was like ignoring myself, ignoring the signs and just pushing forward and not developing the places that I needed to develop. And so, you know, that was kind of a wake up call. Could you share a little more like what happened when and what was going on with the knee? I was born with valgus in my left leg. Okay. So uh, just my left leg was deviated about 15 degrees. Outward. Outward. So I was knock kneed on the left leg. And this is also the leg that I bounced for throwing in judo. So, you know, over time, just the patellofemoral forces wore away at my kneecap. And, you know, I basically went bone to bone for a second and sure. it, I broke the kneecap one day. Uh, yeah, just from walking upstairs. Wow. And then, uh, uh, anyway, I had to have that resurfaced. And then, you know, they, they did corrective surgeries to cut into my femur and my tibia and to straighten out the angle. So I'm about 10 degrees corrected now. And, um, but I think the process of getting to that place was not recognizing my pain, you know, and uh, charging forward too much and assuming I was doing the right things where maybe what I could have done was like, think about the basic stuff like, hey, maybe you're too heavy to be doing these movements right now. I mean, I was walking around like 315, 320. No way. Yeah. What are you walking around right now? I'm about 245. No way. Yeah. So like when I was, when I was competing what? in judo and like 315, 300 is kind of a normal, super heavyweight weight in judo because they're so big now. They're so It's an open weight category. And at that time, I assumed that that was something that I needed. 
you know, to contend with the other guys was like, yeah, I'm big because all the other guys are big, right? Where uh, it was actually like capping a lot of the attributes that got me to the party. I was like, I'm I'm faster than most big guys. I'm more flexible. You know, if I had worked those qualities and like gotten leaner or, or what have you, just like there were there was homework that I needed to do. And I was ignoring the check engine light and I was charging forward and like the recipe for disaster. But I say that to say that like from that experience, I was able to look forward and say, you know what? I'm just going to tackle all the, the problems that I actually have, you know, and grow from that experience. But I think that to be burned was the most important thing in my life. I had to go through the rehab and see how miserable I could be. And that was like pretty much the lowest point of my life. I was like, why the heck am I even doing this? Were you thinking about hanging it up at that point? Or what, what was your mindset like when you were in that position? Honestly, I never thought about quitting the sport. Yeah, I was just like, man, how am I going to do this with one leg? Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I, like, I got to go to the right now, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, that was in my mind. <laughs> but it was more of like a, how could I do this to myself? Kind of shame. How could I get to this place and ignore that check engine light? Yeah, Is that what it was? I, I, felt, I felt shame for myself. I was like, man, I'm so sorry that I did this to you. Wow. Hmm. You know? Because uh, I was just like, I never, I never thought about stopping martial arts. I always thought I would continue to do it, you know? And I think what uh, gives me the strength today is knowing how terrible it was to come back from that injury. It's like, I will, I will not allow myself to, to get to that spot again. I mean, there's no guarantees. But at the same time, it's like, what, how did I get there? I got there because I was rubbing Voltaren on my knee before every practice. And just blocking it out. And I would be limping up the stairs and be like, all right, time to wrap my knee and then go again. And so I think in general, just uh, in terms of longevity, I can answer this question pretty well. It's like, don't ignore yourself. You know, Um, there definitely is going to be discomfort with anybody's journey. But I also think that the work that needs to be done is the work that needs to be done. You know, don't be surprised when things fall apart when you're not addressing the the main issue. What was the main issue with my knee? Oh, I was too heavy. I, maybe I was training too hard. Yeah, probably a, a mixture of both. Jumping around uh, with that much weight and then also, you know, lifting so many weights and doing so many workouts when I wasn't, you know, uh, dealing with one problem. Well, okay, then I went back and I fixed those. So like I went through this kind of like four to five year rehab process that I I, unin- I didn't intend to, but basically I was like, all right, I'm going to get leaner. I'm going to work with the coach. I'm going to work on, you know, aerobic conditioning. Maybe just like get a formal education in strength and conditioning when got my master's degree, not in with that intention, but more like, I think I would like to work with people in their own path so that they can avoid my mistakes. Right. And, uh, I would say in terms of like pairing longevity with what were we talking about? Pairing longevity with the the ability to test ourselves and to push that limit. So there you go. Like I've been to the actual limit where your body doesn't want to do it anymore. And I think you the honesty with yourself is probably going to take you longer. I mean, take you further than ignoring yourself. So you have to you have to have a good coach you have to have a good person in your corner 
building a team around you, whether it's friends and family members or coaches and teammates that can look out for your best interests and also like give you a very accurate assessment of what you're doing and celebrate you along the journey, you know, to make sure you you stay encouraged is going to take you further and uh, ensure that you can consistently test yourself without without destroying yourself basically i don't think anybody uh was telling me what i was doing wrong and i don't i don't know if that was because like you know i didn't maybe i didn't build those relationships when i was you know i was also i was a jerk off i was an asshole like I, you know i would i would make fun and stuff like that and maybe that was super off putting cuz i did it all the time you know i was just I don't think anybody took me seriously because they're just like, dude, there's a Raj. He's just going to like, he's just going to bust my balls again. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to tell him that he's doing that thing wrong. Like, he's doing life wrong. So I think building relationships will actually help you test yourself and stay in the fight longer because now it's like, all right, I'm over there pushing my workouts and, you know, just like absolutely crushing it. And then Mike can tell me, hey, that's, hey, that's great. Good job. And then if I'm laying there and I'm like, ah, I've got no, I've got ten more spins to go. You're just like, hey, don't worry about it. Good work today. See you tomorrow. It's also what we learn as coaches is that you got to meet the person where they're at. Mm. And um, you talked about this yesterday. Is like uh, meeting the person where they're at is going to help them in the long run. Then you know, demolishing them. Yeah, man. I definitely think that uh, relationships will save you. But if we're talking about physical training, for sure, you have to you have to th- seek people that are good for you. And that's going to be difficult. A lot of us are rehabilitating family relationships, right? Just like any, anybody's got issues. But, uh, but if you can find people that you train with, like I'd like to just show some gratitude to you, but also my, my coaches and my training partners here. Like... You know, Shanji Hibero, Victor Hugo, uh, Steve Hargett, Felipe Costa, my strength coach, John Wellborn, and then all the guys here at Six Blades, like Travis and HQ. I mean, without them, like, I don't think I would have seen this, like, growth I've had in the last two years. Like, where I was very honest with my skills on the mat, I started there. I was like, hey, man, I'm just not... I'm not there yet, right? So I just have to work on the basic skills. I had to relearn how to shrimp, you know, because Shandra's like, what are you doing? What is, what is this? You know, and like, I was like, oh, elbows in, boha. So like relearning things and just saying, ah, let me get this right. Let me get this right. Let me get this right. And then I just built this momentum of, of uh, excellence. And then now, now I've got the ball rolling where now I can start asking more complex questions. I don't know. I just... Do you want me to pour my heart out here, uh, Mike? Dude, I've got is, a lot of stuff. This is all so welcome, bro. I could, I could fill a whole tube sock full of this and then just bang you in the head with it, Mike. Well, unfortunately, we won't be able to go, get to go too deep because you're yeah. going to drive me to the airport in like 10 minutes. Yes. And I will drive you to the bay. The, I'll drive <laughs> you to the bay. From Texas to the bay. Miss your flight, okay? Those, Those liberals won't miss you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, back to something that you said. I mean, you just listed probably, I don't even know how many names you listed, five to seven of some of the yeah. greatest of the greats in strength and conditioning, of course, in jujitsu, mm-hmm. in combat arts. And 
man, I think there's, there's a few things that you said that really hit home because I mean, it's one thing yeah, absolutely who you surround yourself with. And I think you shared so many gems for parents, for students and in any sport that having a coach and the team in the environment that you surround yourself is absolutely critical. And sometimes now you're fortunate enough to not only train with and, and teach alongside the best of the best, which is in and of itself very special. However, one of the things is it's like the quality of character of the coach that you seek out to actually have them genuinely, genuinely take an interest in your well-being. That is also super important because how many times I've heard this and in some regards I've experienced this. My brother's gotten injured. I know a lot of people who've gotten injured, for example, just we'll just use jujitsu as an example in jujitsu, going to a good school or, or having, you know, but whether the environment that's created there, there's black belts just putting it fucking on white belts because yeah. they need to prove or I don't know exactly, you know, that's not my world, but I've heard it so many times. And it's like the culture starts from the top. And so it's, I think it's really important not only to have, yes, great teachers, but also those that instill the values in their students and the culture that, actually have a genuine interest in your well-being as a person. Because when I see, for example, Ivan, and I've learned a lot from him technically for sure, and I shared this yesterday, one of the things that I appreciate most is how he coaches. And I've spent weeks at a time engaging in his wrestling practice and watching, and he absolutely, he'll send kids home. If they're like, just look like hell, like haven't slept, and he knows these guys, what they're going through, whether it's tests in school or what's going on at home sometimes. Like I've, he'll send people like, you rest today. Mm-hmm. You, you've been showing up and that ability to like know when to push and when to pull back. And that really, I think, to the theme of what we're talking about, that's a big part of how you blend longevity with this push because mm-hmm. you have to know your athletes, your students, whatever your facility, who's coming in and how to meet them where you're at. So you don't, you don't kill them on a day that they literally have just spent, you know, they're just coming in with, with negative into the gas tank and it's not supposed to be a day where they're, where they're pushed. Yeah. I, I <clears throat> you just, that was a really good point. You'd mentioned there is like not a good day to get pushed. And, um, you know, I learned this in collegiate strength and conditioning where, uh, you know, the, the athletes have cumulative stress, you know, of school, of mm. personal life, of maybe they have a part-time job. And on top of that, they have their athletic, their, their, their sport, you know, their sports-specific training. And then you're getting them for one hour and you're going to motherfuck them. No. I mean, you have to understand who's coming in right now. If you, and uh, I think that... <clears throat> the plight of the collegiate strength coaches because is that I think they make, they, they spend the most time to understand the athlete because they've got such a limited window. So they want to make that the best window possible. Mm. They spend the most time in the athletics department, like physically in the building and, you know, underpaid, I think. Um, but, uh, uh, understanding like the holistic, holistic health of the, of the person is going to go a long way. Just asking people how their day went. And, you know, some people will tell you, oh man, I had a terrible day. Yeah. But I'm super glad to be here. Okay. That, you know, yeah, you're going to treat that person a little differently and be like, oh, you know, maybe not push them the hardest, 
because maybe they had a tough day at work. Then you're going to have the person who's like super happy-go-lucky that day. And it's like, oh, that guy's going to play on the mat. That's good. He's going to have he's going to have a time of his life. And then you have the person that you have to watch out for the most is the person who asks me how my day is. Go. How's your day? It's good. Break it that down? Why uh, that? Oh, yeah. So, I get it. So that guy yeah. doesn't speak. Um, so he's he's probably not responding. And therefore, like, he's not going to be outwardly express, expressive of how he's feeling on the mat. So he may be masking something that's happening behind the scenes. And so when you get him on the mat, you have to watch the behavior of him, him or her, you know, just like, all right, if they're, if they're showing signs of exhaustion, all right, don't push that person. Because, you know, that, that preliminary, just how are you doing? is so key to understanding, you know, just the, the, the little the little appetizer of who they are in the session. So I think when they talk about building relationships, start with the small pieces first, you know, just get to know how they respond to you when you do ask the basic questions, the filter questions. Because that guy who gave you that really short, just like, good, you know, yeah, it's good. Good to see you. All right and like ties his belt and trains, like he can either be looking to take his aggression out on the mat and hurt your students, you know, or could be having so hard of a day that he can't respond. And so he might get hurt because he's too tired. So that's where I think, uh, you know, Victor and Steve do a really good job of managing uh, the adults class here is because Victor is very perspe- perceptive of like, hey, it's just not his best day right now. Hey, come over here, rest. I'll go with that guy. Yeah, just like switching partners around. And I think that's that's crucial to uh, to anybody's longevity, specific, specifically in jiu-jitsu. You can do this a long time. You know, you can be tro- choking people and doing arm bars for a very long time. Uh, but the way to manage that is by having good people around you. Mm. And... Um, Meeting people where they're at is also understanding where they're at, right? So that preliminary how you're doing question, but also like just checking up on people. And and uh, luckily we have Instagram now. So it's like you can always just like shoot somebody a DM or if they're doing something special, like celebrate when they need to celebrate. So like knowing when their special days are is really big. And then also, you know, when you know that they, they're going through a hard time, like be there with them. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to grieve with people. You know, I understand that like that's as a coach that can be heavy to like be to like grieve with everybody that has a loss or or, or a difficult time. But just to know that you're there it will help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I don't think they expect you to like fix all their problems, but they do expect to feel a certain way when they walk in those doors. They're like, all right, this is a place that I can be well received at baseline. Nobody will just like shoo me away. Because they're already feeling so terrible. They don't want to even be on the streets. They want to be at home and fostering an environment that that is welcoming is really important. Yeah, I think you nailed it, man. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about relationship. Mm-hmm. It's all about relationship. And one thing, as we're kind of heading to a close here, there's something I wanted to ask you, especially because you were a strength and conditioning coach at USC, right? Uh, so I was, or, a, I was a temp like intern at USC, but I, I had a, uh, my full-time job was at Santa Clara University. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I, I, I cut my teeth as a strength conditioning coach. And then before that, I started my first internship at Stanford. 
Wow. Yeah. Did you know that I was the for three seasons the SNC coach at Santa Clara for tennis, men's tennis? No. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, I did that way back. But the the question that I wanted to ask you is I'm curious, just like some athletes, for example, that didn't do martial arts uh, or just kids you've experienced growing up, young men. What is the difference that you tend to see between someone who has that or let's just compare it to jujitsu. Someone who has had a background that involves something with actual physical contact mm. and the people who haven't. Because I didn't grow up in martial arts, wrestling, none of that. That's just only been in the last years and what the Bulgarian bags brought me into those circles. And especially with the men's work, it's something that I'm really realizing in the last you know 10 years that I've been engaging what I'm getting from it. But I'd love to hear from you. What do you, what do you see... And why is actual physical contact needed and what happens when it's not there? Oh my goodness. So I teach I teach the kids from four to six years old. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That, that's a that's an interesting class. Wow. Yeah. I love I love them. Right. And then we also uh, I assist Victor and Steven teaching the eight to twelve year olds. So four to six, not much not much like uh not much like sparring is happening, but we are doing like little grappling games where, you know, we're challenging the kids to like hold each other down. You know, we'll just say, hold down the giant. Like, <laughs> so it's just the one kid's the giant trying to stand up and the other kid's trying to hold them down. That's all their job is, you know? And, um, and you see like the kids confronting that, ow, you know, just the simple ow of like trying to stand up and then being forced back down. Man, there's some kids that respond you know, like nothing ever happened. And then there's another kid that's just like, oh, my, my face touched the mat. And then we get a cry, you know? And then you see that crier like the next time not cry anymore. But yeah, like being grabbed and having your skin pinched and and then using your hands on, on something that's, you know, like a human being that's moving and you have to use your grip and actually use force is something that I think uh, kids don't get enough of, Right is like exerting all their energy into something. Mm. It is challenging to hold somebody down that wants to stand up, you know, and especially a wiry kid. So I think it's really important for them to like f feel that discomfort. Like, like we get complaints all the time, like, ow. And I'm like, what happened? Like, he pinched my skin. And it's like, you know, the, the thing, you know, it's like the jiu grab people. So you can't, you have to empathize with them and be like, yeah, it happens. All right, next game. You know what I mean? Just like, just move like, it, move through it quickly. Move through it quickly so that the kids understand like, no, this is a part of, this is a part of it. You know, you're going to be uncomfortable. I think a lot of the kids don't realize how, much, how important it is to protect their face. So we teach them all the time. Like, hey, make sure that your face and your head isn't in a compromised position. I think the eight to 12 year old category of kids, it's more important to teach them because now they're grow their limbs are growing and you know the coordinate it's like the 10 year old kid that like had a growth spurt is so funny like just the way they're janky and they like can't even control their arms i forget which comedian talk like louis ck probably talked about it or it's like awkward kids like knocking stuff over cuz they're they're outgrow their limbs are growing faster than they can coordinate them for those kids they they sometimes they'll play a game they'll have so much they'll just like assume that it's going to be easy cuz it's a game and then they'll get their face smashed into the mat because they just were limp, you know? And it's like, no, you can't be limp, buddy. You got to like basically push into the earth and use 
like all that tactile feel and like press your whole hand into the into the mat to stand up or you know push this kid away you got to use everything to push this kid away because that kid's like you know 45 50 pounds and he's coming at you and you have to use all your faculties to move this thing and uh that's why i really like jujitsu especially for kids but also beginner adults is that you could use pretty much your entire effort bank, you know, all your energy every day of practice and come back the next day and be okay. Like, could you imagine going to Muay Thai and getting your, and just like sparring 100% and like hitting each other 100%? The next day you you physically couldn't do it. because The impact, you'd be bruised up all over. I'm not saying you need to go 100% every day in jiu-jitsu, but you can get close to it. You can get like within... 80% to 100% of your max effort, you could do that consistently every day. So for the kids especially, because they only train about two or three times a week, um, being able to grab and like really use effort and coordinate movement is so huge. I mean, not only with, uh, not only with, in the, uh, in the aspect of movement and coordination and being able to execute beautiful movement as we, as we talk, like you know, movement should be beautiful. Uh, uh, also in the sense of confidence, like how many times have you seen a kid just like, you're just like, hey, uh, bring me that thing. And then they pick up like a water bottle like this. You know, they just, they're just not good grabbers. They don't know how to... Uh, delicate grabbers. They're delicate grabbers, but they're also, they're not confident in what they're doing. Yeah. So they don't know what they can grab and how they can grab it. Like, you're like, hey, bring me that plate. And they grab the plate like, you know, they're just like, Do I and grab you, the know, you know it's going to fall over. So you're like, hey, use your two hands. Like, you just use your energy into this thing. And that's probably the, one of the, in terms of confidence, here's, can I sidetrack a little bit? Let's okay, go. Real quick. Yep. So my coach one time, I, you know, in judo, you jam your fingers all the time because there's a grip battle, right? And wrestling too, and jujitsu too, to a degree. But like, there's a grip battle. There's like, boom, 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 I'm trying to grab your gi. You're not trying to let me grab my gi. And I jam my thumb really bad. If you can see, I've got like this ridge here. Mm-hmm. Both of my thumbs are just like, they're toast, right? And, um, I go, I wrap it up, and my coach goes, Arash, Boris, he's like, you have to take care of yourself. <laughs> and I said, why? He's like, this thumb is your willpower. And I said, what? He's like, this is human beings. With no thumbs, animal. Thumbs, human being. And I'm like, oh. And like, it hit me, like when I got home, he's right, like when my thumb is hurting, I don't want to do anything. Like, I don't want to like cook. I don't want to clean. I don't want, but if I'm able to like build resilience in my hands and like be comfortable with grabbing awkward things like stones, Bulgarian bags, you know, like if I can learn to like get strong in my hands and manipulate objects in space, I become more of a confident human being. I mean, everybody's talking about reintegrating their feet and like wearing barefoot shoes and, you know, but what about your hands? Like not a lot of people talk about like, what does it mean to have a strong grip? What does it mean to have capable hands to learn skills? Being able to do things with your hands is something that, that gives us confidence as human beings. So like, uh, 
you know, whether it's fostering like a, a, a musical skill or just like a knitting habit or, you know, uh, using strength implements that, that use, that use grip, I think is really important for kids to, to, uh, increase confidence. And then that confidence will translate to other aspects of their life. You know, like we were talking about holding the plate is a really basic example, but also just having the strength to like stand tall at school, knowing that, you know, they can do things correctly and they have the strength to do those things. I think is as a parent, I can only assume because I spend so little time with them, but like, I think about it all the time. Like, man, if I had a kid, I would freak out all the time. So it's like the only thing that I could control, uh, because I think about my parents and their mortality. I'm sure we all do. Like, we get to an age where you're like, oh man, I'm living over here. They're living over there. Even if I was living in, within an hour of them, I couldn't control what happens to them. And, and then it, that was like a kind of like emotional point for me where I was like, oh man, they probably think the same thing for me. Mm. Like even if I'm like, and they're the ones who made me. So it's like the only thing that you could provide your kid with and hope for is that they're strong enough and confident enough to walk out and do what they have to do. So lift heavy shit and grab awkward objects. And I think that's, that's the key for, uh, for as far as like, uh, athletic development for kids, I think really just getting them to do the hard stuff. And then, uh, also, you know, get them to be comfortable putting their effort into something like let's work with the grip first and then, and then let's advance. So. I'm grateful that you shared that takeaway because now as a new dad, like this is so visceral for me yeah. because I'm like, you know, how can I be the best papa possible? Yeah. And one of the big things is to protect my son. And when I say protect, yeah, of course, like right now to physically protect him, but the best way I can protect him as he grows is to give him the skills or the opportunities to protect himself from situational yeah. awareness and also too not to we're, we're going to wrap this puppy up because yeah. that takeaway was beautiful to end on. And like just the human connection, man, like this six feet apart stuff that there's a, there's a cost to that. Mm -hmm. But literally like when I'm with Luca, like, and I hold him, that's safety, that's touch, that's connection. So, and that builds confidence and trust in himself, you know, cause he's co-regulating with my nervous system to a point in which there's going to be a separation for him to be able to regulate on his own. So from the physical confidence to the emotional confidence, I think everything that we're talking about that you shared today is absolutely critical. As we wrap this puppy up, brother, uh, where can people find you? Uh, what are you, what, what are you going to leave them with? Yeah. So, uh, you can find me on Instagram, Arash, A-R-A-S-H dot Sofiani, S-O-O-F-I-A-N-I. I teach here at Six Blades Lake Travis. Um, feel free whenever you come to the Austin area, give us a visit. Um, other than that, that, that's all I got right now. I'm a Bulgarian bag certified coach. Let's so go. once I get my bags, once I get my bags, uh, you know, I'd love to work with anybody in the Austin area. I'm also a strength coach. So if you are looking for strength conditioning, training, movement, uh, jujitsu or judo grappling knowledge, I'd love to help you out. So I'm here in the Austin area. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And Mike, you, Mike, I love you so much, uh, man. You're dude, just, you're, you're pure love. <laughs> I, I, I'm grateful that, uh, I got to meet you so many years ago and uh, you're a freaking legend in the making.
Thank you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for taking me into this, into your home and, uh, yeah, making time. I know you're sore as shit. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll go protein up, brother. I'll eat right. a whole rotisserie chicken. Let's go. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Arash, so much, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path. And I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.